we all have a choice. Will I be ruined by regret or rise above it? Regret comes in all forms. We can all think of missed opportunities or loss. Maybe because of our choices or from the choices of others. But there is one who is at work within us. He takes our brokenness and makes us whole. He builds us. He restores us. Let us keep our eyes and heart on him because he is guiding us on the road back from regret. Today we continue our series in the book of Nehemiah, and I was thinking about uh, this picture of uh, the uh, Trunk or Treat uh, promo, and here are five of our pastors, and uh, you know, I think the day's going to come where they're going to regret this, don't you? Uh, especially the dude in the white. Do you know who that is in the white? Look at him. He's just making a scene. That's our worship pastor, Danny Butcher. Can you believe that? He's going to regret that someday. I just have a feeling. Maybe we'll use it to blackmail him. Well, the reality is we are in this series on regret. And uh, if you studied through the book in Nehemiah, no doubt you've been inspired by Nehemiah's leadership, as I have. You've been inspired by uh, the rebuilding of the wall and so many incredible things in the book of Nehemiah. But a couple of years ago, I was really stirred in my heart as I was reading and studying through Nehemiah. And, uh, you know, the, the idea of regret and recovering from regret and rebounding from regret just kept reoccurring as I looked at page after page, chapter after chapter. And uh, this series has been developed, uh, you know, as a result of that. And, and I know that within the sound of my voice, both online, big shout out to everybody online, thank you for being with us. In uh, traditions in the chapel, big shout out to our wonderful people in traditions. And in the early service earlier and now right before me here in the main service, Every single one of us can look at things in our life that we feel regretful about. Maybe the word pain or hardship or adversity or obstacle or, or uh, brokenness, maybe those words come to mind uh, as well. But, but we all can think of things that are very heavy on our heart. Well, to miss regret as a major theme in Nehemiah's book would be to miss a major, major theme. And Nehemiah understood heaviness of heart. He understood what it meant like to just really, really struggle. And we're looking here at step four today, but let's take a quick review. If you haven't been with us, maybe you're here for the first time. You know, step number one is we need to realize and face the facts. Nehemiah did that. He recognized that things were really, really bad and things needed to change. You know, nothing starts to change until we admit something needs to change, right? Right? And so we need to say, hey, I need to do something about this marriage. I need to do something about uh, my parenting skills. I need to do something about, uh, you know, you know my, my derailed career. I need to do something about my education that's going nowhere. You know, whatever the regret or pain or difficulty is, we need to face the facts and we need to be honest about it and admit that something needs to change for good. This is bad. Change is necessary. And then Nehemiah repented. He realized that he and his people had been disobedient to God. And uh, oftentimes we find ourselves in that very same situation. And what Nehemiah did is he cried out to God. He wept. He mourned. He fasted. He said, Lord, forgive us. I've sinned. Our people have sinned. And as a result of that, you've lifted your hand a blessing upon us, and we have been devastated. We've been destroyed. We need to confess our wrongs, find forgiveness, take responsibility, and not play the blame game. We are good at playing the blame game. It started with the first humans. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And from then on, we've all been blaming other people. But at some point, we need to step up and take ownership and say, it's me. Forgive me. 
Lord, forgive me. And then step number three is risk, and, and, and we need to really choose recovery. Nehemiah in uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, is just a powerful, powerful picture of someone that was willing to step up and take a risk. As we talked about last week, people who were cupbearers in that particular time uh, were not allowed to bring anything to the king. They certainly weren't supposed to look sad. Their priorities were not supposed to be emphasized at all. In fact, it was tantamount to treason, and they could be executed. Well, Nehemiah took a risk. He chose recovery, stepped out because he knew things needed to be better. We need to be willing to confront failure. We need to be willing to confront setback and loss. Reality is this, that risk is worth, uh, recovery is worth the risk. And then today we're going to look at what it means to rebound. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 6 through 20, you are, I'm sure, amazed as I am amazed. You will be amazed if you haven't looked at it uh, particularly at how much uh, Nehemiah goes into his game plan of bouncing back from devastation and finding the road back from regret. And we're going to look at that in detail in just a moment. Now, if you haven't been with us, uh, I have shared each week these three books that uh, uh, are not Christian books. They are uh, books, though, that talk about human resiliency and point to the importance of moving forward, not living in the past. I like the titles. The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Can Move Us Forward. The Choice, a lady who at age 16 was taken to Auschwitz, Embrace the Possible, How Can the Future Be a Possible uh, Growth? And then Bittersweet, I love the title, How Sorrow and Longing Can Make Us Whole. Each of those titles, just in and of themselves, let alone the whole book, Uh, really point us in the direction of moving forward. There is no greater book, in fact, something greater than the book, the Bible. Uh, There's nothing better in the world than the Bible that says that very thing. We don't have to wallow in regret. We don't have to live in the ruins of our regret. We can rise above our regret and move forward in Jesus Christ. Paul taught that. Jesus taught that. All the Bible writers teach that. In God, there is hope. If you believe in God, all things are possible. Can I hear a big amen? So we don't have to live in the past of our regret and our pain. We can rise above it, and that's really the thesis that we uh, have been walking through. Now, there uh, uh, was conducted a world uh, survey, a world regret survey, and 105 different countries participated, and thousands and thousands of people submitted uh, surveys. And I read a lot of the results, and they were all boiled down, as you heard me say last week, into four different categories. Foundation regrets, these are regrets that... Uh, are, are like, I wish I would have saved money for retirement, you know, when you get to that point. Boldness regrets, you know, I wish I would have started that business or I wish I would have committed my life to Christ, you know, something like that. Uh, of course, there's uh, moral regrets, and we understand that as people of the Bible, that when we disobey God, that's going to lead to sin and that's going to be bad. But even people that weren't Christians, you know, felt bad about some uh, moral indiscretions that really ruined their life and their family. And then connection regrets. These are people, relationship type things. I wish I would have uh, sought restoration and reconciliation with this person or built a relationship with that person or chased after that friend. Uh, Four different categories. I like to think of three different categories of regrets. Things we do to ourselves, things that others do to us, and things that just happen to us. Cancer hurricanes, etc. Regardless of how you think about it, every single one of us, I am convinced, understands the subject of regret. But the question is, what are we going to do about it? 
Nehemiah had his regrets. In fact, in 722 B.C., of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 10 northern tribes, called the Northern Kingdom, were attacked by the Assyrians and devastated, and they were captured and taken into exile, never, ever to return. The southern kingdom, right around Jerusalem, those two, king, those two, kingdom, those two tribes, in 586, were captured by the Babylonians, and they were taken into captivity. But in 539, Cyrus of the Persians destroyed the Babylonians and said, hey, Jews, you can go back and rebuild. So they did. Zerubbabel went first in 538 and rebuilt uh, the temple. About five, uh, 440, uh, Ezra went back, started to rebuild spiritual life. And then Nehemiah, who we're talking about, went back in about 430 B.C. and rebuilt the wall. But let me emphasize, if you don't have a wall, it's hard to rebuild spiritual life. If you don't have a wall, it's hard to protect the temple. If you don't have a wall, it's hard to protect your, your wife, your children, your livelihood. The wall was really important. And Nehemiah knew it. And that's why he was so uh, fired up about it and caught up in the whole idea. You know, everybody experiences regret. And I don't know that I've ever done this before, but uh, throughout this series, I'm kind of looking at just a little different part of Edith Egger's journey in regret. She's the one, you'll remember, that I've been talking about who at age 16 was taken to Auschwitz. You say, well, I've never been taken to Auschwitz, so my problems are insignificant. No, she would say your problems, your adversity, my adversity, my regret, your regret is all very important, very significant. You don't have to be, you know, a prisoner at Auschwitz to understand regret, she would say. And coming from her, that means a lot. She was rescued by U.S. soldiers literally from a pile of corpse, corpses after about a year. You know, she's the one that lived with survivor guilt for three and a half decades. Three and a half decades. And finally, she felt it was important to go back to Auschwitz and, and face the circumstances and find forgiveness and, and go from trauma to triumph. Those are her words. She says a couple things about her experience. Look at these two quotes on the screen. You can't change the past, she says, but you can choose how to respond to it. That is powerful. We've heard that from other people, but coming from her, it's just absolutely powerful. You know, we can't change the past, but we can choose how to deal with it. And then she says, survivors don't have time to ask why me. For survivors, the only relevant question is what now? I don't know if that speaks to you like it did to me, but so easy for us to say, why me, why me, why me, why me, why me? I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and that was kind of their mantra, why me, why me, why me? But she learned, and she shares with us, that that's not really the right question. What now? What am I going to do about what happened. So think of your disappointment. Think of your pain. Think of your adversity. It could be faith-related. It could be family-related. It could be financial-related. It could be health-related. It could be anything. What now? Are you going to continue in the ruins of your regret, or are you going to rise above it through the power of Jesus Christ? I think that's just a powerful thing to think about. Let's take a look in the moments that we have here about really five components to Nehemiah's plan of, of recovery, of rebounding. I call it the five-part rebound from regret plan, for lack of a better expression. But, but there's really five parts or five ingredients or five components that I think are so, so applicable. I mean, it's just so practical. 
that as I look at it, I go, man, I want to incorporate more and more of this uh, as I want to grow, as I want to uh, become the person God wants me to be, as I, as I overcome disappointment or, or, or challenge or difficulty or pain or adversity in my life, I want to really put this into practice. And I've received many emails and messages from people that say, Pastor Rob, thanks for bringing this series on regret. This is really helping me climb out of a really difficult situation. And for some, and I, I know of some that are working through a divorce, some are working through financial collapse, you know, major family crises of one kind or another, you know, some health stuff, uh, and, and we could go beyond that. What about you? What is your deal, your challenge, your regret, your pain, your adversity? The first thing that I see here in Nehemiah is this whole idea about deadlines. Why is that important? Well, deadlines, schedules, timelines, Speak to me about plans. Nehemiah had a plan. He had a game plan. In verse number six, it says, the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long are you going to be away? Since it pleased the king to send me, I set a time. He set a time, a deadline, a timeline. I mean, that just jumps out to me, just the practicality of that. Nehemiah rebounded and regrouped and he found the road back, but it took deep thought and careful planning. I wonder how much time we really sit and meditate before the Lord and say, Lord, give me a plan. Help me really figure out this situation. Have you ever been in a deep, dark valley and tried to climb your way out of it? Even with the help of the Lord. You know, the way you do that is one step at a time. You don't go from a deep, dark valley and then snap your fingers and the next day you're on the top of the mountain, you know, where everything's rosy. It's usually a process. Those of us that have walked through those kinds of things understand that to be the case. Nehemiah understood it. You know, he needed to kind of think through a game plan, and so he had deadlines and schedules and timelines. If you go on a road trip, maybe to another country, and you don't know your way around, you're going to, you know, do a lot of Google work and map work and try to figure out where's where and what's what and how you're going to get from point A to point B to point C. I mean, that's only logical. Same is true if you need a financial plan, a financial map, or an exercise map or routine, a spiritual growth process. At work, you have systems and steps and processes. We all need plans. We all need maps for our life in every area of our life. Nehemiah said, I need a plan to rebound. I need to work this thing out a little bit. Last night, as Erica alluded to, we had our uh, uh, first annual Bethany Compassion Center annual banquet. I mean, last year we were in the worship center. A year before that, it was all online, et cetera, et cetera. This was our first, and the, and the activity center, if you've ever been in there for one of these events, was just jam-packed. It was just awesome. So great to be back together. And, and we came in there to just really talk about the subject of, of helping people rebound, helping people recover, helping people find restoration. Helping people believe again, believe again in themselves, believe in God, believe in hope, believe in a better future. And we had stories and testimonies, and we talked about vision and many wonderful things. But I want you to just take a look at this brief 70-second clip. And I want you just to think about what do you believe? What do you believe about your future? What do you believe about where God wants to take you? How he wants to use you in ministry and service and help to other people? You know, what, what planning and thinking and pondering does God want you to do to think about how you can move f- uh, forward into a very preferred future? 
Let's watch. Just a very brief 60 seconds. Let's take a look. Every picture, every person on that screen, every ministry listed, 30 different ministries that flow out of the Bethany Compassion Center are all about this, helping people know that God believes in them, other people like us believe in them, and they can believe in themselves, they can believe in God and believe in a better future. Belief. But it takes a plan to kind of go from the deep, dark valley to starting to climb out of that valley and get back up on the mountain. And that's a lot of what our work is here at BCA, both here at home and literally around the world. How about you? Where do you need to believe again? Where do you need to trust again? Where do you need to place your hope in Christ again to help you climb out of where you are, the ruins of where you have been, the ruins of regret, and rise above and move to a better place? We need to plan. We need to process. We need to think about it. And the second thing that jumps out to me in the next few verses is very similar to the first, and that is details. Make arrangements, clarify requirements, and secure resources. Look at in verses 7, 8, and 9, Nehemiah is starting to gather the things he needs. He needs letters, he needs timber, and he needs protection. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted me these requests. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the letters. The king also sent uh, sent army officers and cavalry with me. I find it just fascinating that Nehemiah was really into the details. You know, he, you know, he was setting deadlines and beginning the planning process, and then he took it to a brand new level. And he says, I need letters, I need permission, I need people in high places to go before and help and, and, and uh, help me accomplish what needs to be accomplished. Now, how many of you are into basketball? Let me see your hand out there. Okay, we got a few hands. How many uh, are, are with me? We need to bring back our Sonics. How many are on that bandwagon? All right. I almost feel like having a chant in the march right now. Bring back our Sonic. But we won't do that for the sake of time. But if you know anything about basketball, you know that rebounding is a really big deal. You know, that's a big part of the game. Most of the shots taken are missed. 
Rebounding is all about missing. You know, the goal in basketball is to make a basket, not miss it. And yet most of the shots are missed. And so rebounding gives you a second chance to make it. Rebounding keeps the opponent from having a second chance to make Rebounding is really important. But there's a, a science to rebounding. There's a, a, a skill to rebounding. There's, there's timing and trajectory and, and positioning. There's a lot that goes into rebounding. A lot of thought. A lot of detail. It's true in life. If we're going to rebound from life, we don't just kind of sit around and, and uh, you know, hope. No, we, we get before God, we get other people around us, like Nehemiah had the king and other people, and, and we get people to help us, and we find out how to take one step after another, and we begin to rebound. We begin to move forward. You know, it's interesting that Nehemiah was asking for all sorts of help. When was the last time you asked for help? It's not a bad thing to help ask for help. It's a beautiful thing, really, especially as we find people that can help us. We go to a doctor to get medical advice. We go to therapists to get uh, counseling advice. We go to pastors and spiritual leaders to get spiritual advice. We go to financial experts to get financial counseling, and on and on it goes. You know, career counselors, you know, we can add to that long, long list. How serious are we about rebounding from regret, rebounding from failure, rebounding from moral, uh, um, you know, disobedience and finding ourselves in a really difficult place? A lot of people say, well, I'll just pray about it. Well, I'm all for prayer. But Nehemiah did more than just pray. He prayed. We looked at that week two. But he did more. He got to work. He got letters. He got before the king. He got before Asaph. He recruited timber and resource and materials. To me, that says I need to, I need to pray and work, both, not just one. I, I need to really process where I'm at and figure out where I need to go, and I need to get people to help me, and I'm going to pray, 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 but I also need to work, 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 work. You know, uh, every uh, Wednesday night I teach a class called Basic Christian Beliefs. If you're new to BCA, we invite you to come. It's a great study of the basics of the Christian faith. And we meet right here in room 201 every Wednesday night at 6.30. And recently we did a study on prayer. And I like to make the statement this way. God always answers prayer. But the answer is maybe one of four. We always want to hear yes. How many know that? God, you know, make me wealthy. God says yes. That's, the, that's what we want to hear. But sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes it's no when God knows it's bad for us. Sometimes it's not now if he knows the timing is poor. And I think there's a fourth one, and that is get to work. Get to work. Nehemiah, you need to go rebuild the walls. You know, don't just sit there, you know, in the palace. Get after it. Do something. Get to work. Pray. Not putting down prayer at all. That's very important, but we assume the importance of that. But also Nehemiah shows me the importance of, of the other, and that is to get to work. I'm finishing up a book entitled, maybe some of you have heard of it or read it, Extreme Ownership, How Navy Seals Lead and Win. And one thing we all know, and it certainly comes out in this book, is that seals do not leave things to chance. They are deeply prepared and deeply organized, thoughtful, and into the details. I think 
Nehemiah is the Navy SEAL of the Bible. Or maybe Navy SEALs today are the Nehemiahs of today. Maybe that's a better way to put it. But detail, preparation. Ask yourself these three Nehemiah questions on a regular basis. What do I want? What's my plan? And how's it going? Apply that to your spiritual life. Apply it to your, your physical life. Apply it to your relationships, your finances, your education, your marriage, your family. What do I want? What's my plan? How's it going? Three questions that Nehemiah just seems to soak in. There's a third thing that I see, a kind of a component of, of his rebounding plan, and that's this whole idea of distractions. We're going to talk about obstacles and overcoming them a little bit later uh, in this series, but he talks about it here, so we do need to address it. In verse number 10, it says, When Samballat the Hornonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about Nehemiah coming back to rebuild the wall, they were disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So they're disturbed, they begin to mock him, ridicule him. Look at verse 19. But when Sembalat the Hornonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem, here's a third dude, an Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us, Nehemiah says. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they said. I answered, said Nehemiah, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding, whether you like it or not. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Distractions. You know, I'm impressed by the fact that Nehemiah wasn't surprised by distractions. He wasn't blown off track. He wasn't derailed by adversity or obstacles. He expected it. He knew that was going to be a part of the deal. It wasn't going to be smooth sailing. He wasn't surprised at all. He seemed prepared. Part of his plan was to consider contingencies for when adversity and, you know, things would pop up. And we're going to read more about that in, in weeks to come. But, you know, Nehemiah's not alone in that. You know, Nehemiah's not alone in dealing successfully with opposition. I mean, we can go through the Bible from, from Moses to Joshua, from Abraham to Esther, from, from uh, uh Peter, James, and John, and of course, Jesus himself. And so, not surprised, not shocked, not derailed, not thrown off course. Facing obstacles is going to be a part of every rebound plan as we move from regret to finding the road back. If you're trying to rebuild your marriage, if you're trying to rebuild your finance, if you're trying to rebuild your career, if you're trying to rebuild your reputation, if you're trying to rebuild your faith in Jesus Christ because you've, you've slipped away and gone the other direction for a while, whatever we're talking about, whatever you're talking about, there's going to be some adversity. But let's pray this prayer. Let's state this affirmation like Nehemiah did. The God of heaven will give us success. Can I hear a big amen? amen? We are not going to be derailed. We are not going to give up. We're not going to give in. We're going to persevere to become the people God wants us to be. We have a desire to build great marriages and, and grow great families and honor God with our finances and be extraordinarily generous, generous and be people of great faith that believe in a great God and do work overseas and missions and locally and reaching out to the needs of people. And there's going to be 
adversity and obstacles, but we're not going to become weak-hearted or weak-kneed. We're not going to give up. Number four, another thing that I see is discoveries, investigating, evaluating, learning. Learning's a good word. Nehemiah never stopped learning. In verses 11 through 16, we come to the scene where he makes his way to Jerusalem, and he sets out at night on a horse by himself with a couple people walking beside. He's the only one on the horse, and uh, nobody knows really what he's up to or where he's going, but he's literally investigating the entire wall, every part of the wall, every gate, every aspect. He wants to know exactly what is going on, what's up, what's happening, how bad is it. He looks at everything firsthand. He's investigating, evaluating, studying it, learning, learning firsthand. I think that's just a powerful example. He learned, then he kept learning, and then kept learning, and we need to do the same. We need to be lifelong learners. Whatever we're going through, we need to learn everything we can about how God wants us to to, uh, respond and act and overcome, and we want to study other people that can help us. We want to read books, learn from counselors, learn from God's word, of course, most importantly, but learn everything we can. Not stay stuck, overwhelmed, deep-sixed in the, in the valley of regret, but rise above it with the help of Jesus Christ. I was reading uh, the book that I had on the screen a little earlier, the book entitled Bittersweet, and Susan Cain quotes uh, an author from Psychology Today that just kind of illustrated this for me. And the author was talking about seven skills for coping with loss. So if you're going through loss, if you're devastated by the loss of a spouse, a loved one, family member, loss of a career, loss of this, loss of that, whatever the loss is, we all grieve loss. She was just talking about the importance of of this advice and this counsel and this encouragement. And I thought it was very, very interesting. This is out of Psychology Today by an author named Hayes. Acknowledge loss has occurred. Okay, I understand that. Embrace the emotions. Okay, I get it. Accept all our feelings, thoughts, and memories. Okay, that's important to kind of work on. Expect to feel overwhelmed. That, I think I can get my hands around that. That's going to be an easy one. Uh, Watch out for unhelpful thoughts like, I should be over this. Wow, that's profound. Connect with what matters. Take committed action. The point is, if we're going to rebound from regret, we need to learn and really, really focus on what we're dealing with. Are we trying to rebuild our marriage? We need to learn everything we can about how to do that well. We're we're trying to kind of parent our way through a real family crisis. We need to learn from people that are really experts in the field and learn everything from the Bible and from our church and, and, and read and study and get all the help we possibly can. Why? Because recovery is worth it. Rebounding is worth it. Where does God want you to rebound, recover, grow? Don't settle, wallow in the ruins. Rise above it through Christ. Maybe it's faith-related, marriage, family, spiritual life, health. Nehemiah went into discovery. He was a learner. And that speaks to me about what needs to be a part of any rebound plan, or let me even expand it, any growth plan. And then finally, dreams. Nehemiah was a dreamer. I thought Joseph was the biggest dreamer of the Bible, but Nehemiah is kind of right up there. You know, Nehemiah shows me you got to have a dream. You need to clarify that dream. You need to share the dream. Then you really need to defend the dream. 
It's a process that just continues to roll. Look at what it says here in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. He's talking now to his fellow Israelites. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. He says, come, let's rebuild the wall. Let's do this. And we will no longer be in disgrace. You know, it is possible to just allow ourselves to stay in disgrace. Maybe you have experienced a broken marriage or a broken family or a broken career or a broken moral code, a broken faith. You do not have to stay where you are. Jesus Christ can lift you up and move you to a brand new place, amen? That is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't have to stay there. We can go there through Christ Jesus. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said. They replied, let us rebuild. And so we began the good work. There's a verse just a little bit before this that jumped out to me in this recent study that never quite jumped out to me before. It's verse 12. What my God had put in my heart to do. What God had put in my heart to do. What has God put in your heart to do? What has God put in your heart to do about your marriage? What has God put in your heart to do about your kids, about your family, about your faith, about your generosity, about your finances, about your future, about your career? Earlier this week, I shared with our deacons a, a plan that God's laid on my heart for the next 10 years of our missions program here at BCA. Our global missions program for the next 10 years I said, hey, pray about it. This was God's laid on my heart. Last night, we shared a part of what God's laid on our heart concerning the local missions outreach of our church through the Bethany Compassion Center. This is what God's laid on our heart. What has God laid on your heart for your life now and future? Don't let the regret of the past hold you in the past. Forgetting what is behind, Paul said. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on to fulfill the call of God in Christ Jesus. Have a dream. Clarify the dream. Share the dream. Walk out the dream. What God has put on my heart to do. St. Augustine said this. There is no saint without a past, and there's no sinner without a future. That is an awesome quote. And here's how I want to think about it today. There is none of us here who profess Christ as Savior that doesn't have a past that in some way or shape or form we regret. We're all sinners. We've all fallen. None of us have ever been perfect. But we found Jesus, and we heard that he forgave and in his grace and mercy, we've been forgiven. Amen? But there's no sinner without a future. And I want you just to think about that from a regret view. No matter what our past has been, Jesus says, I have a future for you. Not just in heaven, but also in this life. Edith Egger, it took her three and a half decades to kind of come to grips with it all. And she, she rose above the ashes. And even though uh, she doesn't talk a lot about her faith in that book, the reality is she found a way to, to move forward. 
in Jesus Christ, every single one of us, no matter how deep or difficult it is. And I've been talking to many of you who are going through really, really hard times. Let me remind you of what we've been talking about. Jesus Christ is more than able to help us move from where we are to where he knows we can go. Renewed hope, restoration, redemption, a brand new place in future. I want you just to bow your hearts and heads with me. And I want you to think for a few moments about those areas in your life that you regret, that you're grappling with, that you're desiring to overcome. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask uh, all over in the main worship center here, how many would raise your hand and say, Pastor Rob, would you pray for me? I lift my hand to the Lord. There's an area in my life that I am trying to work out of and work uh, uh, to a better place. Just lift your hand and hold it high. You know what it is. God knows what it is. It's just a step of faith where you're saying, God, I want to not no longer wallow in my past, but I want to rise above it. And online and in the chapel, I know there are many, many of us that can raise our hand and say, Lord, I do not want to live in the past of my regret, but I want to move through it. I want to have a plan, a a, a rebound plan like Nehemiah talked about. And I need your help, God. I need your help with the details. I need your help with the deadlines. I need your help, God, in dealing with with, uh, the opposition and the distractions. and, And I need to discover and learn I want to keep that dream. I want to keep that dream and find that dream and clarify that dream. Lord, you know everybody in this place in every way. And you know where we all are at. And for those, Lord, that just lifted their hands, God, I just pray that you will wrap your arms of love around them right now. Those listening online, those in the chapel, Lord, those that were with us in the first service, God, just wrap your love around each and every one and remind them that you care so deeply for them. Before we move on, I just want to ask again with every head bowed and eye closed, how many would be here and say, Pastor Rob, I really want to commit or recommit my life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've known him in the past and kind of drifted away or maybe you've never committed your life to Christ. Either way, today you want to commit or recommit your life. Would you just raise your hand, hold it there for a moment. This is where it starts. This is where it begins. This is so important to really commit our life to Christ. God bless you. Thank you so very much for lifting your hand. You're lifting it to the Lord. You're expressing, Lord, I am serious. I want to really go deep with you and go far with you. Lord, I pray your blessing upon those that are making a Christ commitment. Here in the worship center, in the chapel, online. God, later this week, as people hear the message, God, we just pray you'll continue to stir up faith. Stir up faith, God. In every one of our hearts, we pray. In your precious name, we pray these things. Amen. I'm going to invite us all to stand. And I'm going to invite here in the worship center our prayer team to come forward. And at this time, our tradition service and online pastors will lead the close of the service appropriately. But we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to be dismissed in a few minutes. But before we are dismissed, I want to encourage you, if you have raise your hand and commit your life to Christ today just to step out from where you are and pray with someone here on our prayer team. If you're here today and said, you know, I've got some regrets I'm working through, we want you to come. We want to pray with you and encourage you. Maybe you want to stand in for someone that's near and dear to you that's going through a very hard time like has already happened today. We invite you to step out. We want to pray with you regarding that as well. Step out. We invite you to come for prayer. Let's sing together and we'll close in a moment.